So we'll be continuing this morning through the book of Acts. Before we get there, though, one other thing. Um, Fun Fest meeting is after service in there. Um, we're going to get together, finish planning things out. That is this week coming up very quickly. Um, we do, we did get the gospel bracelets. They're glow in the brace, dark bracelets. They say faith, love, and have all kind of the different pieces on it. It comes with a little cool card that explains what those different things are with verses on the back. It leads them through what it, what, how to begin a relationship with Christ on there. Um, if you did not see them, get on Facebook, look at the church posts. We've got a picture of them there, really cool uh, deals there. Um, and so that's going to be, we're going to be passing those out and even beyond FunFest are a great way to witness and a witnessing tool for that. Um, so we'll have that meeting after service. And then this morning, um, uh, Judy kind of was asking about getting some bu- Christmas buttons that we could pass out. And so we did order some buttons that are say Jesus is the reason for the season that you can hand out and be able just to share with people at the holidays and even got some bands for the kids that say the same thing. So some cool things to, to have uh, access to and, you know, that are, that are fairly inexpensive. I remember as a kid, the Jesus buttons, I mean, I don't, in the 70s, they were real popular. Where I grew up in Big Bear, there was a lady that had, that's what they did was made Christian buttons and the house had a fire. So we got all the ones that were kind of singed for free, but I thought it was cool thing. we had all kinds of buttons and stuff, and yeah, so. So yes, it's definitely cheaper to order them than do your own, only unless you want to do custom ones, you know, and get the machine and make them, which is probably not good, but. So it's nice having those things available just as a tool to even start a conversation and start to talk with somebody that are coming. So this morning we're continuing in Acts, We're in uh, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Um, We started last week through the book of Acts, which is more like Luke 2, the second part of Luke, if you would, his account, which, uh, you know, my opinion is very much it was written as almost like a a, a legal briefing to Rome before on the behalf of Paul. And we see last week Jesus is there, he's, he's around giving instructions and with the disciples for 40 days and, and seeing and many proofs by large groups of people and things. And he ascends into heaven and he tells them, he gives them instructions to wait for the power that's going to come from the Holy Spirit, to receive the power from the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're going to kind of see them sitting as they wait and some kind of choices and decisions they make as they move forward. And um, to really look at many times when you come up to a decision in your life and a direction change in your life or ministry or a new season, you know, what are some good principles and maybe some bad principles when looking at making a decision and walking with the Lord? And first we see it as first, first thing to do, the best thing to do is obey. Whatever he's already told you, obey that. And then when you wait, you know, take the time and wait and pray and be waiting upon the Lord. And we see that happening this morning, being in his word and knowing his word and, and you know, following his word. His, he is never going to direct you anything contrary to his word and many times speaks to us through his word. And, and then being led by the Spirit. Letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide you and how to properly apply his word in a situation and even timing on things. And then step, the next step would be, or step five would be to repeat the process. 
in your life as you continue to walk. And so we're kind of going to see that this morning. And, and clearly we see as the disciples are waiting here, they, Jesus had already breathed the Holy Spirit upon them, but they're now told to wait for the Holy Spirit. So there's two clear kind of distinct different aspects of the Holy Spirit in, this, in, in the Scripture we see. You know, um, there's, you kind of got two extremes. You got the, those gifts and the Holy Spirit and the, the upon experience of the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. It isn't for us, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then you got the other extreme where it's all about that. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have it, you're not saved. There's no way this. And there are two extremes. And, and we see two both different times in scriptures. And like I said last week, just because... Um, just because you might be able to text and drive doesn't mean you have to drive to text. Just because when you get saved, you can receive the fulfilling and the power of the Holy Spirit at that time doesn't mean that always happens at the same time. And so, and then also we see many times Paul praying for filling of the Holy Spirit in a decision before he even teaches towards the end of his life, praying for and receiving power, more power from the Holy Spirit and a refilling of it. And so this morning as we sit, it's kind of an awkward position to be in. Here you have the old covenant and the old ways are now gone. We have Jesus, he was there, he ascended into heaven, we're told to wait, but yet they don't have the, they don't have the filling of the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit, they have salvation, but they don't have that empowering of the Holy Spirit, especially the empowering, as, as Jesus said, to go and be witnesses. Those gifts of the Holy Spirit that are not primarily for us, but for the rest of the body and to be a witness of him to the world. And so we pick it up this morning in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. And um, the first thing they were doing here, we'll see, is what they were obeying. And so in verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, and a Sabbath's day journeying. And when... They had entered, they went up into the upper room where they had, were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplications with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So... You see them, they return to Jerusalem. They're told to stay in Jerusalem. Now, when Jesus ascended, when we looked at last week, it said they were on their way to Bethsaida. He wasn't right there. If you go to uh, Jerusalem now, near the tomb of Jesus, there is a chapel of ascension. And they have two feet print in rock where Jesus like shut off like Superman. Okay, well, he kind of, that didn't happen and it didn't happen there. So when you go to Jerusalem, don't waste your time going there. That's not where he ascended. Again, they're returning from the area outside of Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives headed back from where Jesus ascended. And they head in and they go into the upper room. And when it says the upper room in the Greek, it says the upper room. Assuming that most likely it's the same upper room they had the Passover in. They, you know, it was still prepared there. They they'd had that con contact. The people knew where it was at. The disciples knew where it was at. And so... Most likely, that's where they're headed back. And they're there, and all 11 of the disciples are there. And, and also, with them, it, you see them, they're continuing in prayer and supplications. They're praying, 
but also supplications. And supplications are um, desperation, saying, I need you. They're saying, God, we need you. We need your power. We need you. Not, not we need a healing for this, not those type of things provide for our needs, but really crying out, saying, Lord, we need you. We need what you have for us, seeking him intensely. And with them were the women. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, which is interesting about this, this is the last account we have of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And they're not praying to her, they're praying with her, and they're praying with his brothers. And even before this point, we know some of his brothers didn't believe he was the Messiah. They thought, okay, Jesus went off the rocker, he's a little nuts, you know, it's our brother. I mean, you can imagine, try to imagine the family dynamics there, growing up with Jesus, right? Your brother never, why don't you be more like Jesus? I mean, it could be pretty rough, right? It's like, why don't you be more like Jesus, you know? Could you imagine Mary sitting there talking to James going, what would Jesus do? I'm just saying. So, you know, honestly. (laughs) But you sit there and you look at that and you see it. And so, but at this point with his brother, with Jesus being risen from the dead, his brothers are there, they're believers, Mary's there, they're praying, they're seeking God. And they're all together in the upper room and they're praying, saying, we need you. And that's one of the first things, as you see, is they're obeying the God. They went back to Jerusalem. They're, they're waiting where they're supposed to be. And they're praying. They're asking for God. They're, they're seeking Him. They're desiring God to direct them, to guide them. That's their heart. They're together in one accord. You know, you, you think of that, it, it, it seems kind of simple. Go, okay, yeah, they're the 12 disciples, you know, and there, and the mother. Okay, of course they're going to be together in one accord praying. No, think about this. This is a miracle. These men never seem to get along. They're always arguing about who was greater and everything else. I mean, it was like, you, you look at, I, I think somebody said, I, I think two-thirds of every time the disciples are mentioned in the Gospels, they're arguing. So they're there in one accord. They're united, praying, seeking God. And you think even in this situation, I mean, what should be blaring to us is, okay, how many of you guys would like the direction Okay, this, we are starting this whole new thing. And what I want you to do is wait. Could you imagine if I told Heidi that, honey, we're buying a new house. Don't worry about it. All I want you to do is wait. I don't want you to pack anything. I don't want you to plan. We're starting this whole new thing. Just wait. And I'll come get you. That ain't going to fly. That's not going to fly at all. She's you know, planning out, and she's like, where's this wall going? I want to know which picture I'm getting rid of. I mean, there's all this planning, and very much the same thing with us. I mean, I don't know, maybe some of us men don't care about directions. But, I mean, there's some clear things, right? Who's fulfilling what role in the church? Did you see? Did Jesus give them a church government? What type of church government? We need to have an elder-ran church. We need to be Episcopal church. There's a Moses model. There's this. Do you realize... Literally within 70 years of all the, of, of the 12, the original 12, you see just about 12 different types of church government. Why is that? Well, because Jesus didn't say do it this way, this way, and this way. And I think he really, you know, when you look at that and you go, okay, why the lack of direction? Why the simple just wait upon me? You know, um, waiting and seeking upon Lord. The Lord does something in those times of waiting, though. In your life, when you wait upon the Lord, there's a seeking there. Um, 
Could you imagine if you got a manual on your spouse that came with them, like, you know, you got married, your mother-in-law walked over and handed you a book, boom, this is what's required, this is their service needs, this is when they need an oil change, this is when they need their, you know, here's the next doctor's appointment, here's the next physical, you know, they need to have this exam, this, and you got this manual of things you had to do to fulfill, so, you know, you have a good running spouse. I mean, you look at that, though, what kind of relationship would that be? You know, it, it's not a, a, a love relationship in that point. There isn't a reliance on each other. There's definitely not fulfilling it. Even with your car, even though you get a maintenance book, if you, especially if you've driven an old car, you're, you get to know that car. You get to know when it starts going tick, 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 tick. It doesn't matter what the book says. Something's wrong. I got to deal with it. You know, you got to look into things. And, and same with a, a relationship. There's a, if there's a reliance on each other, there's a relationship. There was a manual on how to be right before God. It's called the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and it didn't work. There was a failure even in that when God desired a relationship for those things. God does this. God left out this great manual. You know, we do have some direction through it. We have definitely some very clear things in the New Testament regarding this relationship. But far as many areas, the Bible's really silent. And, and, and to some of us, is very annoyingly silent. Like, God just, I just want it black and white on a sheet of paper. And God goes, no, I want you to trust me. I want you to be in communication with me. I want you to be on my knees with me. Well, just tell me a list of do's and don'ts, and I'll go do that all day. No, I want you to be in a relationship with me. And so very much even with the first 12 and even the beginning of the church, which you would think you would want to leave all kinds of clear directions, you know, these important decisions that have to be made. Pews or chairs. I mean, what are you going to do? How do you know? I mean, if you get that wrong, people might not come to church. They're going to end up in hell. It's horrible. You know, the color could be off. I mean, you think of all these things that go on. And, you know, if you've ever been part of a church board, you know, there's a point where, I really don't think God cares that too much. You know, I need the loading of the Holy Spirit on these chairs. Or, you know, there's wisdom and prices stuff. When it comes down to color, men on church boards, just go with whatever the women like. You'll be safer. That's probably the wisest choice. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You need your wife in that sense. Or, or the women in the church that tell you this color is good, you know. So there's, there's those aspects to things. But there isn't this great in a sense, direction in that thing. He wants us relying on him. There isn't an owner's manual. And so you see praying, you see waiting upon the Lord, seeking God. And how are we to seek God? What does that actually look like? You know, you, you see them here in verse 15. We kind of can see it here. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the names of them were about, or the names of them were about 120, and said... So he gets up, Peter stands up in this group of men here, this, this congregation, this getting together as they're praying, and here Peter take, stands up and kind of takes the leadership role. Which to me, I mean, at first you would think, okay, yeah, it's Peter, he's been doing that, he's, he's good at standing up and speaking when he wants and getting in there. I don't know, I mean, when you sit down and you look at Peter in the last 40, 50 days, right? He denied Christ three times, wouldn't it? I mean, where's the... Where's the, the guilt? Where's the, I blew it? I mean, now he's going to stand up and lead these people? Well, why is that? 
Well, his perspective has changed because the last 40 days he's been hanging out with Jesus, right? He's been coming. Jesus has been counseling. Jesus restored him. He isn't dwelling in it. So he is taking a position. And people go, well, you know, Peter, Peter is the first pope of the church. I have no problem with Peter being the first pope. If you understand the pope isn't infallible, they do make, a pope can make mistakes. I'll say, okay, Peter's a pope. Okay, and also understanding that Peter's position that God placed him in as the first leader of the church wasn't an authority he was supposed to pass on. So there was a pope of the church who wasn't infallible. So I'm good with that. We'll go there with Peter on that, and that's about it. But when you slow down and you look at these things and you see this thing, you see these things, and, and you even see some really important details in this verse here. You know, um, between verse 16 or 14 and, and 15, and I know some of you guys thought somehow I was going to miss this, but you notice in, in verse um, 14 there, it says they were all, all, all continued in one accord. So how many disciples can you fit in a Honda Accord? About 120 is what it says here. No, I'm sorry. I get told I'm telling these dad jokes now, not even pastor jokes. The kids are like, dude, these are dad jokes. Was that a dad joke? Yeah, that was a dad joke. Thank you. Okay, so anyway, so if anybody asks you, what did the disciples drive? One accord. It says they're all in one accord. So no, but when you see these things and they're sitting here and they're looking at it and, and you see him standing up and leading, that is pretty amazing to think about. And, and just the natural way of things. And here's Peter taking the confidence in that. And he says to them, men and brethren, in verse 16, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke by, by, before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and fell headlong, and he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Now, Peter goes to the scripture and says, hey, look, I've been, we're sitting here, we're praying, I'm going to the scripture, and I'm seeing in the scripture that this was going to happen, okay? You think of all the things that were going on before this, um, for them to process this, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. But about what about the other 12? They had a fillers of betrayal too, right? This guy walked with us. He was this. Where is he at? And as Judas goes through the scripture, or Peter goes through the scripture here, he sees Judas. And, and Peter happens to, you know, clarify what happened for those of us who had breakfast and still want to keep it this morning. You know, that he went out and he hung himself and maybe the rope wasn't strong enough. There's theories, well, they didn't even have good rope back then or whatever, or an earthquake caused him to fall. But it sounds pretty good. You know, his internals gushed out. If you need any more visual to that, good luck. I'm not giving you any more. But, you know, I like my breakfast. And so Peter gives us these details, and he continues on, and he says in verse 19, And it became known to all those who dwelled in Jerusalem, so that the field was called to the, in their own language, uh, Akal Dama, which is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling be place be desolate and let no one live on it. And let another take his office. And so when he has gone through the scripture and Peter's going through the scripture, he sees, hey, Judas was going to betray him. We know in Psalms he was going to betray him. We knew he was going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And we knew that his office was going to be gone and given to another. 
And so as he, he sits there and they're studying, what an awesome thing. They're, they're waiting upon the Lord. You know, and you think of with everything that happened, everything that happened, everything going on, are they sitting there totally lost without hope or no? We're praying, we're seeking God, and we have his word we can go to for direction. Right? They're, he's, they're, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of talking going on, but more there's probably digging through the scriptures like, get us another scroll in here. I want to see where Jesus is this and fulfilled. And now we know this has happened. And Jesus was talking about this verse and that verse and going through it. And here... Peter relied on the inheritance of Scripture. He's relying on what the Word of God said and is going to act on it, which seems simple until you try to do it. Right? Like, well, yeah, I believe the Word of God and all this and this and this. Okay, go do it. Well, there. You know, does the Word of God say this? Yeah, but, you know, in the church these days, it's not really, you know... The Bible really didn't know what it was talking about. It was written so long ago. So, you know, if we did that, people wouldn't like it. You see all these different excuses. Peter believed in the inheritance of Scripture. He's digging through it, desiring that the Scripture would direct their actions and what to do here. And in verse 21, we see he says, Therefore, let these men, or therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord... Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day that he was taken up from us. Let one of these, or one of these must become a witness of, 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 with us of his resurrection. So Peter's sitting there and he's going, okay, we see this in scripture. We see that as office is supposed to be given. It's going to be given to another person. We're all here. And he comes up with, okay, let, let's sit here, therefore, we, we see, okay, who's, who's been with us from the beginning? Who's been with us from the baptism when Jesus was baptized all the way to the end? Now, again, you know, we, we can sometimes think that Jesus was just walking around with 12 disciples. No, there were a lot of men with him. They had a different purpose for the 12 than the others. No less valuable. Don't ever think, oh, you know, it wasn't one of the 12. They weren't allowed to less value, but just a different calling, a different purpose. And so as they sit there and they go, okay, well, there's two of these guys. And, and so let's, let's, let's see about, we, we need to appoint another one here. And this is where there's two very drastic different opinions on the scripture and what takes place here. Up until this point, you have them obeying Christ, you have them waiting upon the Lord, praying together in supplication, and then you have this, and they're looking towards the scripture, and now it says, therefore. Now, should they have done anything, or should they have waited? Some say, well, they, look, it's wrong. They should have just been waiting. They weren't supposed to do this. On the other hand, you go through and you look at it, and as we continue through, was this a huge thing to destroy the church? Was it ever corrected in scripture that this was a wrong choice to do? No, nobody ever says it's wrong. It seems like when Peter did do something wrong, Jesus was pretty faithful to correct him every time, you know, calling him the son of Satan. I mean, so you sit here and there's an argument that says, some, look, you should just wait upon the Lord. And when you get impatient and it's hard to wait, don't just try to do something. Wait. Good argument. The other time is, 
okay, you sit there, you look at the Word of God, and you rely on the Word of God, and, and some basic common sense of going, okay, well, this person's come from the beginning, and these things, this kind of fits. We're moving with that. I don't have a problem with either one at this point. And again, these guys and, and you know, the 12 disciples very much had um, tr uh, old covenant thinking still. The way they did things was old covenant. You know, go, why was it necessary to replace them? Well, it says there's going to be one. There was 12 tribes of Israel. 12 is the number God picked. We need to put somebody back in this position. These two guys look qualif qualified. We're going to go with our assumption on this and, and, and believe, okay, this looks, makes sense that one of these two guys would fulfill that position. And... Um, The, the thing is, they, they don't know, they don't know. There's still lack of information here, and, and we ultimately don't know if this was a wise decision or not, and, and nor are we going to be able to judge that. And so I'm not going to base um, a teaching based on this was bad or good. It is what it is. It's, was it a good decision? Was it a bad? We don't know. The scripture doesn't say that. What we do know is, I do know the Lord could have picked another one, and I know God did pick another one. Judas was replaced, right, at some point, okay? Who was that? If we're not 100% sure, but that's okay. There are 12 stones that the New Jerusalem's built on with the 12 disciples there. When you get there, find out who that name is, and if that bothers you that you're in heaven and you can't handle heaven because you thought it was the wrong guy, good luck with you. No, I mean, it's not going to bother me. I'm going to be fine in heaven. It'll be interesting to maybe find out. And to sit here and, you know, you kind of think of those things, okay, so which one was it? God had a plan. God was going to pick somebody out. Did these men necessarily know that? Was that the right choice? And again, we kind of see them, how they make this choice regarding this, and again, with this old covenant kind of thinking. Verse 23, it says, And they purposed too. Joseph, called Barabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, O Lord, or you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on uh, Matthias, I try, man, I said this wrong 10 times last night, and Heidi corrected me. Matthias, my Matthias. There we go. Matthias? Yeah. Anyways, and he was numbered among the 11 with the 11. So they cast lots. Cast lots are like gambling, okay? It's like throwing dice, okay? They had different ways of, you know, determining God's will by those things. And, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping this sounds a little strange to you for casting lots, like, you know, casting lots for something. Hopefully that sounds strange to you um, to de determine God's will. You know, if it doesn't sound strange to you, you know, if you're like, okay, I'm going to go down to the casino or we're gonna, honey, we're going to buy some lottery tickets with our money and we're going to see how much God's will is it that we tithe and we'll give them a cut of whatever we win to determine our offering this week, then we need to have some counseling. But I'm hoping this kind of seems strange. But in the old covenant eyes, in the old testament eyes, this wasn't uncommon. When, when there was sin in the camp of Israel, they cast lots to determine who was in sin, and Achan and his family was found out and taken care of. Every time before 
David would go into battle, there was a casting of lots to determine what God's will was in these things. And that's what they were used to. The problem is they didn't have the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit at the time. So guess what? They needed to cast lots. With us, we don't need to do that. So the fourth principle is being reliant on the Holy Spirit because we don't need to be reliant on casting lots. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, to some, some extent, sometimes you almost want to try this, right? You know, it's like you get sick of waiting for something. It's like, okay, God, if this happens or that happens. You know, I used to remember, okay, God's will, I'll be reading through them. God, I want to find your will, and I'm not finding anything I want. Okay, the next letter I see. If it's a Y, it's yes. If it's an N, it's a no. So I'm just going through, you know. But it's a word of God, so, you know. I mean, I think the games we play, I know you guys probably don't do that, but you, you, you look at kind of those different things. Was this a good choice? If we look back, was it a good choice or not? Well, Matthias, there we go. Matthias, um, he, from what we know from church history, he died of a martyr. They're not knowing, there's a little disagreement with which way, but he, he oversaw a fellowship in a church and was used by God. Also, Barabbas was a good godly man who is used by God in many ways. And then even when Paul came along, which some would argue, okay, Paul, they should have hold off. This was Paul. Their list of qualifications wasn't God's list of qualifications for this person. And Paul was caused to this. Obviously, Paul was used in a great way, but do you realize Paul never considered himself one of the twelves? Many times he had talked about in scripture saying, the apostles, I met and went with the 12, the apostles, and he didn't put himself in the same category as them. And so it's kind of interesting, and when you look at those things and going, okay, there, there's really no way of knowing. Until we get to heaven, we kind of see what's on that stone, if you would, in, in, in there, in the base. And so the other interesting thing to look at is Ultimately, it didn't matter. It made no difference what, who was called the next of the 12. It seems like that timing and those things, it just wasn't important in church history and anything we have for the rest of Scripture. That title bears no weight. I mean, it might have you know, got Matthias into a couple doors or met a position because of what people thought, but when it comes down to God and his view, it didn't matter. And in each of these men's lives, what seemed to matter more was God's calling on it. And again, if this is a legal brief on Paul and what happened and, and a report in that sense, why is this in the scripture? Why did the Holy Spirit leave this in if, it, if this choice was of little importance? Well, I think it makes it clear that the 12 or the 11 didn't get together and vote Paul in. Later we'll find out really clearly who puts Paul in the situation. Who calls Paul to that? It's Jesus himself. And more important than any title any man would ever give you or not give you is what is God's call on your life and obedient to that. It doesn't matter what title a man gives you. If you're called to do something, God's going to give you the power. He's going to give you the mission field. He's going to give you those things and he's going to guide you that way. You know, one of, the, one of the things I really love about the Calvary Chapel Fellowship, I went through the School of Ministry. We were given a piece of paper, no accreditation, no assignment, no, oh, go serve at this church, nothing. We didn't fill out a job applications and send them out to go, okay, now I got some education in this, hire me on. No, go, 
Wait upon the Lord. Be reliant on the Holy Spirit. Be in the Word of God and go where He tells you to go when He tells you to go. There, send you off. Bye. We're not going to give you a job application. Oh, you graduated from where? None of those things. And to trust if God's equipping you for something, it doesn't. He's equipping you for a work. You know, as God starts to work in your life and He's stirring those things in your life, it's for a purpose. And, a, and there's a timing in those things. And being reliant on that more than any title any man gives you. Here at this fellowship, we ordain pastors. Do you know how we decide who gets ordained? We see who God has called as a pastor, who God's using as a pastor, and we recognize it, so we ordain him. Instead of picking somebody, giving them a list of qualifications or things to do or hoops to jump through or, uh, you know, our standard, we see who God's called, how God's equipped, and how God's put and they're serving in that capability, and we simply recognize it. Hey, this is what God has done. You know, and there are people in this church that are pastors that probably haven't been ordained that God's working in and he's leading and guiding in that way. And so, again, the title didn't matter. I, you know, you think of if you're sitting there, what if you were Barabbas and you weren't the chosen one? I'm so glad when you read scripture and you, you look at church history, the little we know, but this man still served the Lord. It didn't matter. He was still going to serve the Lord. You know, if this man was carnally minded, he could have said, that's it, I'm not one of, okay, you didn't pick me, I'm out. I, I was trying to get in the top 12, and I'm not, I, you know, that's it. I'm going to have to try for the next season of uh, Jesus has got talent or something. I don't know. You know, it, it's just he went on and served the Lord. Do you think Paul cared if anybody else was calling? No, Jesus called me. Not, it didn't matter. I'm going to go serve. I'm going to go. I'm going to serve. I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to continue to do what God's called me to do. You know, he, he wasn't calling up the other 11. Hey, what do you think of this mission field out here? Let's have a board meeting. Does this make practical sense? And, you know, I think God, no, I'm going to go. God's called me. I'm going to go. Now, there's definitely wisdom and counsel and a balance of that. But, you know, and at the same time, I don't think it was Horrible that, that, you know, you sit there and you look at the choice that Peter made here. You know, if you're sincerely seeking God and you're desiring it and you go to Scripture and go, hey, you know, this is what I think God's doing. This is where I think God's going. Now, if it's harmful, you think God's going to sit back and go, I know you desire to hear from me. I know you desire to do my will. I know you're sitting here and you're waiting, you know, but... I'm sorry, you didn't ask right. Good luck. You blew it. It's going to end. You know, it's not like he's got uh, the example, you know, you got the cup with the little ball under it, you know, and he's like, okay, here's my will. It's right here, right here. Ah, you got the wrong cup. You're going to hell. No, that's not the loving God. You know, I know you wanted to have a relationship. Oops, but you blew it. It's over. You missed it. No, I believe God's grace and he knows our heart in that situation. Now, if you come to me and say, you know, pastor, I'm going to continue in this sin because God knows my heart, you know. It's, you know, God really knows my true heart. He knows how I really care about people. Even though I keep murdering people every day, he knows how I really feel deep down inside. You know, he wants me to be happy, right? I, no, it's unbiblical, you know. Yeah, he knows your heart. He knows it's wicked, and he's going to deal with you. But if you're truly seeking him, there's a you know, some grace there. You know, I don't think we sit there. I think so many times we can sit there if it's, you know, as my kids are going from high school into college. 
what school to go I go to? I'm going to ruin my whole life. And if I'm not seeking God and I go the wrong one, it's going to be horrible. And I'm going to be, it's, you know, I'm going to, you know. It can be paralyzing. I don't know if you guys remember that. You know, what do I do? How do I go forward? How do I move if I do, you know, this or that? Or, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you sit there and you look at things. And I think God has a lot more grace. And sometimes, like in this situation, I don't think it mattered that much. And that's why it wasn't important. If it mattered and was important, Jesus would have, number one, said it. He could have stepped in and said it. The Holy Spirit could have corrected it immediately. Paul might have debated it. You know, it's not like when Paul was there and says, okay, here's Paul, and he sends Ananias and goes, oh, go over and pray for Paul that he would receive the Holy Spirit and send a letter off to the other 12 saying, this is the one I chose. Tell Peter, you know, he blew it. No, never happens in Scripture. Why? Because I don't think it had that much bearing. And ultimately, what shouldn't, again, those things that pass us by and, and stuff shouldn't have much bearing. Now, It's kind of interesting. So when you think of the Bible and you see the 12 and the purpose of the 12, right? And the 12 disciples there and and God was going to build the foundations. And again, Acts is a small piece of what was going on in the overall body of Christ. It's one area, one group of people, what was going on. There's other churches going on, other ministry going on, other things growing on besides here. And when you look at the 12, okay, God's called them, they're going to be the foundation of the church. How many of those 12 are vital to the New Testament and the writings we have today? How many people penned, with God being the author, penned the New Testament? I mean, my assumption when I was a kid, you have the 12, and obviously the 12 wrote the book, or at least each a book, maybe Rowan wrote more than the last or something. No, not the case. Do you know there are actually several men that aren't a disciple who wrote the scriptures we now read? Luke is one of them. Mark is one of them. Mark is most likely a young man who was around at the time of Jesus and stuff and followed along and hung out. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the young man who's there, whose cloak is grabbed and runs away naked, is Mark. So when you read the book of Mark, remember you're probably reading the poor guy that you know, streaked out of that situation in a sense. You know, you sit there and you look at this. You know, Jude is the brother of James. And so out of the New Testament authors, they're not all one of the 12. They're not even all disciples in that sense. So in other words, even Paul here, there are men that are called this way. There are men that are called this way. There are other men that are considered apostles that aren't part of even the 12. Paul and Barnabas are sitting there and it says, the apostles, par and Barnabas. So Barnabas in that sentence is called an apostle which is a messenger of God. And so that office. But also when you didn't see is, okay, when you had Jude who fell, who walked away from the office, when the office was replaced, right, it was, they said, okay, scripture, it's going to be replaced, so we'll be 12. That makes sense. Okay, what happens when James was martyred? Did they get together and pick somebody else again? No. He didn't need to be replaced because he passed away. He didn't betray Christ. He didn't walk away from Christ. All the other 11 disciples, none of them betrayed, and that office ended there as far as being one of the 12 and those 12 apostles. That office, that timing, and that season was done. And so you see these things, and you sit here and go, and you look at this, because sometimes I think we can look at these men that God called. We Number one, we start to somehow forget who the disciples were that Jesus called. Stinky fishermen, tax collectors, uh, zealot. Okay, Judas the zealot, you know what that means? 
He was a terrorist against Rome running around, okay? This is a guy trying to figure out how to blow Rome up all the time, how to get rid of Rome, overthrow Rome. I mean, he'll get saved. You look at these men, right? And we can go, okay, but after they were Jesus and he rose again, they had this special anointing and all this. Can God use you as he used Paul to this day? Yeah. Do I think you're going to pen any of the New Testament? No, don't think that. Okay, that there's that, that season, that office is gone. But far as the work and what God can do through a man's life is there. I think there are some that are apostles today in that sense. You look at K.P. O'Hannon, who's planted many churches who, who fulfill kind of that role. He hasn't ever taken on that title. I know some fellowships throw that around, you know, it's like a ranking. I'm going to call you an apostle now, and so you feel more special or whatever. But... Again, if a, if a title is going to make you feel like you need to do a job because you get a title, okay, you're children of God. Go do it. I mean, <laughs> there, you guys all have a title. The Bible calls you all saints. Do you realize that? Okay, so put saint in front of your name. If you need, put it on your front lawn, saint something's house, you know. And, and, you know, and then if you need a cathedral, maybe build a little thing out front, you know, maybe around Christmas, call it, you know. St. Kim's Cathedral? <laughs> no. Anyways, <laughs> we're all called saints. I mean, that authority and what's given to us and what's available is just the same. The same Holy Spirit, the same power to do all that have. Paul was called to, all that these men are called to are available to us, and it's not there. You know, and it's kind of interesting. So you see that. The other, the other problem is here, I'm curious, what happens if Peter didn't leave an A and a B choice? We have this guy or that guy? Does that ever work out for you? I like doing that. I don't know about you guys. I like the A, B choice kind of option, right? Honey, do you want a black Carvette or a red Carvette? Okay, okay, okay. I want to stay married. We'll get a pink one. No, I mean, it's like, what about D? None of the above. I mean, right? like, ah, what about a not a new car at all? Um, but, you know, your kids do that when they're growing up very young, right? They learn that really quick. Mom, yeah, are we going to Disneyland or Disney World? That depends. Are you paying? No. I mean, you look at those things, right? And sometimes we do that with God. God, is it choice A or choice B? I remember Chuck Smith telling a story, you know, he's sitting there and they're tight on money and, and this, and he's sitting there and go, God, we need at the time, you know, this is back in the day, if you can say that, back in the day. You know, when they're paying for their uh, utility bill of $36 and some change, you know. And so he's sitting there and he's praying with his wife and they're praying for that exact dollar amount. And sure enough, after church, he, he's there and he wasn't able to get into the church or something. He wasn't able to. So he goes by the church and there's some, uh, somebody, an older gal in the fellowship, left him a note with that exact dollar amount in it and said, just felt like blessing you. And so that exact dollar amount was there. And he goes, right after I got done going, thank you, Lord, I realized, why the heck did I pay for that exact dollar amount? Why didn't I just pay for more? Why didn't I pray for $100? You know, why didn't I cover a couple bills? You know, better yet, why did I put a dollar amount at all? God bless me with everything you got, you know? Why did I limit it, what God wanted to do? And many times, if you go to God and go, okay, God, here's choice A and choice B. What's the best choice, God? What? I want your will. What's the best? You know, sometimes when you sit down and go, okay, God, and let's just keep a none of the above or whatever name you want to write in there. I will totally get a kick. If you get to heaven and you hear me laughing, 
It's because I'm at one of the foundation stones and it doesn't say Paul or Matthias on it. I'm just be laughing. <laughs> we don't even know this guy, some strange guy. God chose him. We don't know who it was. You know, they all had it wrong. So I just get a kick of that. Watch all these theologians over there itching their head like, who's this guy? Where did he come from? You know? But we see that, you know, so seeking God. Seeking God, first obey him. If he didn't tell you to wait and he told you to go, don't wait and pray. Go and pray and beg for help. And, and sometimes all the way through it, stop and pray for some help on the way. I don't know if you guys have ever stopped into ministry and suddenly you're praying as you're doing like, God, help me, God, help me. You know, um, confession. You know, people go, somebody said, Tim's really good at dramatic pauses. No, Tim's good, good at dramatic prayers. I get quite like, God, help me. I don't know where I'm going with this. My mind's, whew. I'm like trying not to chase rabbits and stuff sometimes. I don't, you know. So if I pause up here, I'm probably praying God help, okay? So sometimes you go and you pray as you go. And other times God says, yeah, stop and wait and obey and wait. It definitely would have been safer for them to wait. That would have been a better decision to make full of the Holy Spirit and maybe, who knows what God would have done in there. I don't think it limited what God was going to do or what God did do. But there could have been more of a blessing in it and, and for them to see. But, so seek God in obeying and praying in His Word. Let His Word speak to you. His Holy Spirit, His guidance never going to contradict His Word. It isn't going to contradict Himself and waiting for His Spirit, waiting upon the Holy Spirit in a situation to make things clear. And when we get together as a fellowship, every amazing work of God you've seen, if you've ever read the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, it started out with them just waiting upon the Lord and praying, and God opened up a ministry and a direction that would have never been, even in the godliest men's minds and programs of qualifications. You look at men that got together and seek God, and you look at the men called in Calvary Chapel. None, none of them would have ever been approved by a seminary to be pastors. You look at um, uh, George Mueller. Nobody would have ever called that man. They, he, they rejected him how many times? Some of the greatest missionaries were rejected by godly men who had their qualifications lined out for what they thought were godly, well-intended qualifications for somebody to serve in it. But they weren't God's qualifications. Now, God definitely has qualifications in His Word that are from God. They're not the qualifications of man. So, man's qualifications don't matter, and man's titles don't matter in what you're called to do. God's qualifications matter, and that's part of being in His Word. And sometimes you get there and you go to what God requires of a man to serve us in this thing, and you go, God, make me that man, because I don't want to be benched. I so, I don't. I don't. Take me home or use me. And whatever it takes to make me usable, do it. And then sometimes you go, oh, no, why did I say that? No, I mean, <laughs> you know, but you sit there and you look at that. God, make me usable. Make me, I want to be used. And the amazing thing is, even with his qualifications, he can be very gracious with where we're at. And he'll call you into things, you know. You know you're called into something when you sit down and go, I do not, I cannot do this. This does not make, God, you want me to do what? You know? And those, those are the things. And so be praying, 
be obeying and praying in his word, waiting for the Holy Spirit to guide, and then repeat it. Repeat it. When you're obeying God, okay, this is it. There's a new season. With this fellowship and any fellowship, Gospel for Asia, to this night they have a Tuesday night prayer night. That whole ministry to Asia that's grown and has been amazing started with three people getting together and praying on Tuesday nights, committing to staying up all night praying on Tuesday nights, working regular jobs for that ministry, for what God would do there. And after a year, it was still only about five or six people praying on Tuesday nights. But God opened that up and started to use that. You look at the basis of what God's doing to plant the church and and to grow the fellowship, and the work he plans to do is he wants them to pray and wait upon him. You know, you, you see the two different distinct times of the Holy Spirit and when Jesus ascended to now. And there's definitely things in value in waiting one of the things in value and waiting I think they needed to learn was to wait in many situations. Wait upon the Lord, right? Could you imagine what if Jesus, before he descended, said, Phew, blew the Holy Spirit on them and then took off? Ah, phew, they would have ran and, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know about you guys. It's like I, I get in trouble. I, I'm the, I don't like taking time to get things going. The teen center, starting the teen center when we came in, now just over three years ago when got in the building, talked about doing that as a ministry and an outreach, talked about it when I was assisting pastor, going, okay, starting the pieces and all that, and what's it going to take? Okay, we'll just get in there, and then how are we going to use the building for outreach? And all the pieces are going. You know, I almost feel bad. I'm thinking, yeah, three months from now, it'll be up and going. And I'm so glad it wasn't up and going in three months because you see, as we've waited and prayed, the different pieces and the different men of God's calling in place people he's putting in place for that to happen even this morning key parts of it just by waiting and seeing who God guides and puts together to call for it and so it definitely sometimes jumping out before him God can work with it but man if you slow down and wait again this is for people that are my type if you slow down and wait takes care of a lot of headache so there's my type the other part of you Sometimes I've been praying and waiting, praying and waiting, and God's told you to go. Get up and move. You know, the important thing is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to trust it, to trust his word, and go on it. And now, the amazing thing is when you hear God's voice, at least with me, it's more when you get other people's counsel, it's to check it. And it's not necessarily what you were wishing to hear. Hey, this ministry thing's come up, and this and this, I'm kind of nervous, I'm not sure about it. That sounds awesome, I can see God calling you that way. I was hoping you were going to go, there's no way you're called to that. That's what I was hoping for, right? You ever shop counselors? You've made the decision of what you think you want, not what God wants, what you want. And now you go to find somebody to give you the counsel you want. You know, well, you know, I go over, what do you think of this and this? Well, that doesn't, I don't think God's in that. Really? Okay, well, I'm going to go over and talk to Joe over here because maybe he's a little less spiritual and tell me what I want to hear. I mean, (laughs) you ever do that? Trust me, I have never done that, never, no, not at all. Generally, it's what you don't want to hear when somebody, you know, I think God might be calling me to this, but, 
you know, you know me, so you know this is impossible, right? Yep, that's why God's calling you to do it. But anyways, and so that's, as we look at the scripture this morning and it's Acts and they're starting off, to really be seeking God and praying. And um, as we move and get closer down here, we're going to start doing the, the Saturday night get-togethers. And I haven't even really came up with a term, getting together, having potluck, fellowshipping, and praying and actually spending some time and waiting upon God on, on Saturdays. And I don't, um, we did one a little while ago. We're going to do one again here, probably beginning of November. It's a little hard with the holidays. But I'd almost like to be doing it every week at a point. Um, and I was kind of thinking of, uh, you know, just the name when I was looking at this and where they met was the upper room. The easiest place to get together in fellowship so far with our size is there's a room up there and there's a kitchen up there. And if we're doing potluck, it's easier than bringing everything down and up. And guess where it is? It's the upper room. So we might just start having upper room meetings. So I know that's probably really cliche with some churches, you know. They probably built a special upper room. We have one, so we're just going to use it in the stoves there. But So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and how amazing you are, Lord. That we can seek you. That you do want us to seek you. That you want us to be intimately reliant on you and you want to be intimately involved with us in our lives, God that we can trust with who you are, that as we seek you, you're going to be faithful to guide us, that you're going to speak into our lives, God, that you will guide us into safe passages and, and you have just an awesome plan for us, even when, when those choices are either hard or even scary, God, that you are there and you are guiding us. God, help us not to have a fear of stepping out and serving you, God, that we would just take joy in those things, God, to joy in the freedom we have to serve you, that you're a loving God, that you only have a, a hope and a future for us, and that we can just seek you and trust in what you're telling us, trust in how you're guiding us, that we don't need to worry about just all the lies from this world, all the, the titles people want to put upon us, good or bad. We just have to just listen to just your voice, no one else. What an amazing thing. Just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.